dangerously close. This episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. I had actually asked William Mitchell Audio to help me create a little musical number for later in this episode. But he was busy today making a movie with Reba McIntyre. You probably remember Reba McIntyre from her role as Heather Gummer in the 1990 film Tremors. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Anyway, I made the song on GarageBand. So, if you want your song to sound better than my song, go to williammitchellaudio.com. And we're rolling. My guest today is Jess Caldwell. Jess Caldwell is a professional rewilder and founder of Wildkind Academy with a unique history that includes a 10 year immersion into living life off the grid as an astute prepper. Jess flipped the script on fear centric living through a deep dive into exploring death more closely, including working in cemetery sales at a large funeral home, cemetery and crematory. After leaving what she calls the dark days, Jess became an educator for holistic and meaningful end of life practices that remove the word industry from our death experience, such as green burial, that supports conservation and renewal of life. With a paradigm shift that can <laughs> that cracked the code towards living a more healthy, meaningful, and expansive life, Jess began her next chapter, which she refers to as a rewilding, and has taken on wild foraging, fishing, ethical hunting, and wilderness surf rival. She trains daily to live more consciously, to increase resiliency, and cultivate a symbiotic relationship to nature. I did not do bad on that. That's the, I think that might be the That's longest bio that I did. I mean, I messed up once or twice, but not horribly. Well, hey, what does Surf, what does surf Rival mean? Well, I did not coin that term. Um, and in fact, one of my um, heroes in this world, Daniel Vitalis with WildFed, he has he, he talks about Surf Rival and um, I think even has a product line. But I love the word um, from the first time I heard it, what that, I guess, means to me is... Um, is that as humans, you know, I, our natural habitat is nature and um, we were born to thrive and, you know, and have instinct and, and this intuition on how to interact with nature and the natural world. And so when I've been in this, you know, kind of recent history, taking on wilderness survival courses and such, I find that I do that not because I'm in this, you know, survivor mode, but that I really just want to feel comfortable in my natural habitat. I want to feel at ease. I want you know, my time in nature to feel like I can, you know, confidently build a fire and, and sit by that fire and listen to the sounds of nature and take in, you know, all of the sensory experience without um, and feel confident and feel competent. And, um, and so then I feel like I'm thriving in my, in this, in nature and out in the wild rather than, you know, these skills that we're calling, you know, survival, but really that's how we've, you know, I our can't. human I can't believe I missed that. And I read it several times, like, uh, like on your uh, website, as well as uh, the bio that you had sent me, all this stuff. And I was like, what does this word mean? And I literally did not just, I mean, it's so right there and obvious in front of my face. It's just, you're putting mm -hmm. it over to thrive. And sort of, yeah. I just, I was like, I don't know. As soon as you, as soon as you started talking about it, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and speaking of your website, uh, just real quick, I, I did, I did want to say, um, I can't tell you how many guests I've had on this podcast that were launching a new website or mm -hmm. doing something of that nature and uh, trying to make it coincide with the release of their episode. And I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure you're the first person 
to make the deadline. So yeah. uh, congratulations on that. And also, um, I checked out your website this morning because uh, I got your email, and it looks yeah, great. great. It's a, really looks it's a fantastic looking website. So I'm very I'm, I'm glad that um, it's up in time for us to tell people about it uh, when this episode comes out. Thank you. And also, it looks really good. <clears throat> And Thank I, you. I, I it was when when we talked two weeks ago and I had this deadline. It was, I mean, there's nothing like putting a fire under your ass <laughs> than a deadline, and it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. So thank you very much. I'm I'm glad it's live. <laughs> um, I think this episode also uh, came at a really cool time for me, like philosophically, because lately mm. I've been uh, meditating a lot on how, and it's it's not exactly precisely what we're going to be talking about, but to me, it kind of uh, is relevant. It's like how like, you know, if you're not vigilant, a lot of the hobbies and interests that define you or that define a person can end up being replaced by, you know, bullshit or, you know, things that are kind of like mm-hmm. that weigh you down. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. kind of life kind of beats you down a little bit. And I think that's not what we're specifically talking about, but you do have a really cool story of transformation. And, and it seems like you have a, a really good focus on getting out and really living life in the way that I understand it, like what I think really living life is. And we're gonna get to all of that, of course, but first we have got to talk about doomsday prepping, if that's okay. (laughs) It's my favorite topic. In fact, one of the episodes that I listened to of yours with, uh, I think Ramsey Demeter is his last name? Uh, It's Demeter. Demeter. Okay. Yeah. He has a Greek God last name or some some God. Oh, that's it. Well, your, your episode on survive surviving in the wilderness and you guys breaking down a zombie apocalypse just was so fun. I, I I think zombie apocalypse themes are one of my favorite things to talk about. I'm so glad you said that because we are going to be getting into that in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I didn't know how cool it was going to be, but I hit, I, uh, I know when I was speaking to you before and I was saying like, uh, here's some things that like, here's a couple episodes that maybe it would be like a good idea. And I was like, well, definitely check out Ramsey because we talk a lot about wilderness survival and you do a lot of wilderness survival related stuff. But some of the questions end up being throwbacks to that episode because I felt like, you know, they needed a fresh perspective and that's going to be you. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Call, call in the big guns. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can never have too many experts on zombie survival. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I actually do consider myself an expert in, in zombie apocalypse scenario. Absolutely. I mean, well, I was going to say, uh, you spent an entire decade living off the grid, like doing the, like the prepper lifestyle. Like, is that correct? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I met, um, when I moved to Washington state, I actually moved here from the Island of Kauai. I was living on the Hawaiian islands for a couple of years and, and a couple of things happened when I was, li- I was living on an Island when nine 11, uh, took place and really dramatically experienced what it was like to where the barges weren't coming in with supplies and nobody could leave the Island because the planes weren't coming or going. And, um, it was a real awakening to supplies running out. People were running to the store. And I mean, the run, you know, the run on a toilet paper, that was, you know, way before the pandemic, we were experiencing that on an island yeah. um, after a major world event. And it was um, c- kind of an eye opener of um, just, you know, placement of, you know, where you are when something major happens and this um, feeling of helplessness. And also that the isolation, some might find that being on an island is fantastic. I mean, why not be on the Hawaiian islands, especially in a zombie apocalypse? That might be a great scenario. 
Um, but for me, um, I, my, my roots are from Oregon. I grew up in Portland, Oregon area. And um, cool. I returned home and I just, um, I felt kind of the expansiveness after, you know, when we could fly and I left the island, it just felt so good to be kind of back in, in more of a, you know, with more territory and, and um, more uh, resources. You know, I, I love the Pacific Northwest and everything that grows here so abundantly. And oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I don't know why. I thought you lived in Olympia. Well, yeah. So I, I actually moved, I ended up moving to Olympia, Washington oh, um, okay. from, from when I moved over from the islands because um, I met a man and we got married. And it just so happens that um, the man that I married, and this was really timely given the experience I had um, after 9-11 and kind of the things that triggered, um, you know, that what triggered that time is he um, he built undergrounds for a living. So he he was actually a bunker builder. And this was so intriguing to me um, because I always had this even when I was a kid, I pictured like having these like bug out shelters and what I would what I would have and what I would do. And um, it's just always been a part of the way I would think. And so to meet a real bunker builder, uh, it, to me, it was just love at first sight. <laughs> so, he was like, oh, this is my guy. So, um, and then I got into um, selling survival gear and um, freeze-dried food. So I just really jumped into basically being the person that filled the bunkers with all the stuff that you would need. Okay. And so together we were quite a team. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and we're talking, you know, for bunkers, these, you know, there's people building three bedroom homes under the ground yeah. um, and they're, they're beautiful. And so I would fill it with, this, and I would meet with them and we would hear, I would hear all of the different scenarios that they might be concerned with. Cause you always begin with, so what's your greatest fear? Like what, what's the scenario you're preparing for? Is it, is it the big earthquake? Is it some sort of uh, cataclysmic event that shuts down our grid? You know, what, what's the thing? And so I'd hear all these different scenarios and then we would prepare accordingly. You know, some people are putting submarine doors on because of a big wave. Yeah. You just, so, it, it's fascinating. It's so interesting that you said like, that you went straight to that because the, the question that I had written down because I was so curious was specifically, uh, did you have any specific uh, scenario you were prepping for personally, for yourself? Not like, oh, personally. Besides, besides those people, but like something that you were like, oh, well, this is a, a likely scenario that I, that I can prepare for. Well, being in the Pacific Northwest, there was always, uh, you know, the earthquake scenario was was a concern. You know, civil unrest was a concern, uh, uh, just a big cataclysmic event um, of any kind, whether it's natural or, or um, you know, human initiated was a concern. I think where, you know, one of the, the key points for me is that the more I worked with other people and, and heard what their concerns were, then I'd be like, oh, I didn't think of that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no, like that's a whole nother level. And I think, you know, for me, I, it, it actually made me probably even more vigilant around just all that I needed to feel like that I'd make it. Now, when I, before I had kids, when it was just me, I probably would, I, I felt a, a lot different. I think having two young boys at that time, two, two babies, um, I think it kind of added a little bit to my, I guess, paranoia and, and fear around wanting to make sure, you know, like some sort of motherly instinct kicked in. And I was yeah. like, well, if something were to happen. And again, I was fresh out of 9-11. Yeah. Um, so things were pretty intense. And it was like, I just want a safe place to raise a family. 
so we'll get into like where there's concerns I have around yeah. some of the, the prepping lifestyle and, and where it led me, but you know, I'll let you kind of lead the well, way it, here. It does seem like a little, like a little perfect storm too, like to be in a situation where you're already getting into the prepper uh, community and lifestyle and all that. But also at the same time, you've got like new mother instincts kicking, like we're, yeah. you know, we're, we're all mothers are going to be uh, hyper protective at that point in their lives, you know, and want to, have the safest possible scenarios. Uh, yeah. The more stuff we had, you know, the more preparations that were in place, the more things that we accumulated um, because there, there can be almost a, um, and I, I'm not like, I don't, uh, you know, diss on preppers. I think there's some real wisdom to just being, um, you know, having a reasonable sense of not being totally uh, need, you know, our system and how it is right now, it's so fragile. I mean, we just experienced that with the pandemic when people ran out of toilet paper, it was just, you know, or, or food or, you know, certain things where that became short, um, where we became short, where you couldn't just go to the store like you're used to and get the things you were used to getting. And, and so I think everyone is a little bit hypersensitive right now about our fragility um, with, with things. So I, I think there's some real, you know, um, wisdom in, in realizing how can we become more independent. Um, but where I was back at that time, I think was not necessarily leading me down a healthy path. Uh, I think it could, you know, for me, it led to almost a sense of hoarding where, you know, there just never was enough food in, on the shelves there, you know, there just never wasn't, is there enough, uh, all the things it's like, there's never enough. And that to me, I remember taking my two kids. I think when I had a pivotal moment, um, I took my two kids to go visit my uh, parents in Portland and I was counting the, the rivers that we were crossing to get there from Washington state. And I was like, okay, this, I could get my two kids back. Like if something were to happen right now, we could, we could get back. But then when it came time to crossing some, you know, the bigger rivers, I was like, no, we're, we're not getting back. And I remember in the middle of the night having some anxiety and um, feeling like, God, what, you know, what if the earthquake happens right now? Like I've taken my kids away from this, the, the, the safety of the Mecca, you know, of the, of, of safety. And I, I packed them up at like two in the morning and we just drove home. And I think that when I stopped traveling and stopped living um, and started accumulating, I, I mean, that's when things really, for me was like, uh, I'm out of balance. Because I think really that kind of mentality, like that makes perfect sense if you were in a war and you were like, if you were an invade, if you were an invading force, like if you uh, it invaded Normandy and you're like commanding a bunch of soldiers and you're like, you know, going into France to try and liberate them from the Nazis, you're going to pay attention <laughs> to how many bridges you cross because those yeah. bridges might not right. be there on the way back. But that makes perfect sense because the Nazis are going to be blowing up those bridges behind you if they get the opportunity but the thing is, yeah, it becomes, uh, yeah, like what you're saying, it becomes an obstacle to living your life if you're uh, doing that just kind of on a daily basis without like without a clear and present threat. Yeah, exactly. I I was I would not call that necessarily a thriving time of life, yeah. for sure. And you did touch on this kind of briefly because you were like you said your uh, your husband was building those bunkers and you were doing the like stockpiling and all that stuff and you were meeting all these people and they all had these things. And I think what, I mean, I think it's kind of fair to say that um, preppers get this image of being isolationists, uh, like hermit like people. Uh, but it's my understanding that, you know, there is actually a sense of community among preppers to a certain mm -hmm. extent. Is, I mean, it, how true is that? I think it's very true. Um, 
I mean, people, for the most part, especially, you know, aren't very verbal about it because you're not shouting out to the world like, hey, I have so much abundance of (laughs) ammo and, and food and water tanks. You know, I mean, people just actually are pretty quiet about it. Because uh, you know that that they they want to keep that quiet, um, under understandably so for the reasons they're doing um, the the prepping. But I do think there's a sense of uh, a kindred connection that when you're meeting with someone, you're talking about these things who, with other people who have some similar concerns. It leads to some great conversations and a sense of camaraderie. Um, I know that on my particular neighborhood, we we lived pretty rural um, and we had a really unique situation where a lot of the people in my, on my road basically um, were very similar. They, they all had some version of like, let's make sure we're prepared if something were to happen. And we had groups, we met once a month and every, you know, there was a ham radio operator and we had honeybees and someone else had massive gardens. And um, we just kind of all came together to say, what are our strengths? Who has what resource and how can we support one another? Um, if if need be, because one family and it, it would be very hard to do it alone uh, in any kind of like um, sustainable way. You you oh. know if you have years one year with a food storage, well eventually that's going to run out. So you you need you need skills. I don't know why this uh, why you made me think of this, but it just remind. I think I think it might have been like the first time in a pop culture uh, setting where I saw like a prepper in, in, a, in a positive light too and it was uh when i was a little kid and i saw the movie tremors I don't, have you ever seen tremors one of my favorite movies of all time and so uh reba mcintyre and her husband and i don't know the name of that actor but his name is bert in the movie and they're the yep. preppers in that town and they're the, they're the first ones to kill a tremor because they yep. have a, a, such a, a, an extensive arsenal and they like, yep. breaks into their their uh, prepper compound and they blast it away with all these you know, they've got a million guns and they you know they but them being the only people that were prepared for a tremor in the first yeah. place is why they're the only ones that were able to kill one in the first place. <laughs> yeah, they had the radios, they had yeah. the they had the guns, they had the like the armory with you know the the safe <laughs> you know steel armory. You could stand on top of their shelter, and they also had the four wheel drive like all terrains, and so they could go yeah. pick people up. And I yeah, that was I watched that movie when I was young, and I, well, I don't remember how young I was, but I remember. Reba McIntyre, I was like, that, that is who I will grow up to be. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, like another great prepper would be uh, uh, Linda Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I really relate to these kind of roles, you know, of like, like just, you know, put a bandana around my neck and, and some boots. <laughs> like, let me just, like, walk the earth and, and feel so capable. Um, there, yeah. In film, there are so many great examples of preppers that are that are shown in a really cool light that like that are admirable. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, man, I like Burton Reba, and I'm like, dude, oh, I yeah. love Sarah Connor, you know. And uh, I mean, there's probably a million more uh, examples. Actually, we're gonna get to that a little bit later on because I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about about some disaster films and your your takes on those. But, oh uh, wait, before we, if we're talking disaster films, I wanted to tell you about a film that I just watched that my um, I have a teenage boy who's really into anime. We watch we watch um, all sorts of anime shows together. But he's um, he introduced me to a Korean film actually called Hashtag Alive. Okay. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I will definitely check that out. I'm I'm just now getting a little bit more into uh, Korean films. I had a, a Korean actress on this podcast, and uh, she's been in a lot of things, but she 
is kind of doing her own thing now. And mm. it's funny that you mentioned that she lives off the grid in Hawaii right now. She like she left Los Angeles and went and bought a like a self-sustaining farm, and that's where she's at. But uh, yeah, her name's Judy, right? Uh, yeah, Judy Juan. Yeah, I listen. I listened to that podcast. Oh, you listened to that? Great. Okay, cool. Yeah, she was. Yeah. Uh, before I, I talked to her, I mean, I had, wasn't completely ignorant of Korean movies. You know, I'd, I'd seen like uh, Parasite and uh, The Host. You know, those are like the big, big ones or whatever. But there's, yeah, apparently there's a wave. They make a lot of good stuff. So I'm going to, you know, I'm trying to get in there to check out more of just, more than just the the two or three that were recognized by all the mainstream. But uh, what was the one that you, uh, you guys watched again that was called Hashtag what? Hashtag alive. And it really just takes a, a different kind of, uh, I guess, view from the the typical zombie movie. It is a zombie apocalypse movie, but the, it really is centered around a, a teenager who's kind of like stuck at home and is an apartment, you know, before his parents leave, they're like, okay, go make sure to go buy groceries and left him a little grocery money. And of course he didn't, he was, he's a YouTuber, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden like shit hits the fan and he's like, should have bought groceries. <laughs> but he and it's really kind of this uh, emotional um uh, kind of part aspect of of what it would what it's like to be uh, alone and you need to be resourceful and um and also kind of the loss around family and friends i mean it but but also a, a hero's journey i mean it, it's it's a great movie and i would add one caveat too is another reason to watch this i mean to anyone listening that's kind of like curious about checking out if, if, if you if you're not already into these kind of films and that's uh, when you watch movies that are subtitled, it really helps uh, you not fuck with your phone while you're watching a movie. <laughs> and that's a huge problem for me. I'll be watching a movie that I'm actually really enjoying. And I'll just like my phone is like suddenly like slowly like covers like, my uh, line of sight. <laughs> so so it's, it's, a, it's a mindfulness practice. Yeah, it absolutely is a mindfulness practice because it's the kind of thing, I mean, you know, me from my childhood, I never would have imagined that I would 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 uh for any reason want to stop watching a cool movie to look at a phone. It's just a, such a bizarre uh, evolution right. we've gone through. Hold up. It's time for a special announcement. My Views Are My Own podcast received an email from some executives at Disney Plus reaching out to me to say they are considering trying to syndicate my podcast as a Disney Plus television show. I was told that some of the A&R executives at Disney would be listening to this episode in particular, so I made a little musical number just to show you guys the kind of content that I intend to bring to your brand and your streaming platform. It's a little bit edgy, but I think you guys will like it. Like it's like a mashup between Bruno Mars, Migos, and performed by Mickey and Friends. I can't wait to become a part of the Disney Plus family. So, without further ado... Here's my song. Gorsh. Beautiful girls oh, all over the world. Gorsh. They got nothing on you, Manny. They got nothing on you, Manny. Gorsh. 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 All right, word up. That gets better every time I hear it. Anyway, thank you, Disney executives, for checking out this podcast and showing interest. 
I can't wait to become a part of the Disney family. And now back to the interview. I'm just curious because, I mean, like, you've moved into, like, the the sort of thrival uh, life and like, that mentality and that philosophy and all that stuff. But I did have a question just, like, having been someone who did live the prepper life and, like, was in that mind state. Uh, and I think last year was, like, such a crazy time because I, I feel like it seemed like when COVID-19 first hit last year, uh, preppers all over the world were suddenly feeling really validated and mm-hmm. being like, see, I, I, I fucking told you. The world's going to end. And, uh, and, and like, it did seem like a lot of preppers at that point were like, aha, you know, like I was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before it, it, all, it all smoothed out and we're, just, you know, still here or, you know, I mean, I don't, that sounded callous. I mean, I've definitely, you know, uh, it's very sad. All people that did die, but you know, the earth itself is still here. And so is humanity. I was going to say, uh, how did that affect you being someone uh, that used to live that lifestyle? Just, and seeing it all going down, were you like for a moment kind of being like, ah, should have stuck? <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, almost the opposite. Um, I was the lat, like I was when all this was going down and my friends were going to Costco and dropping, you know, a thousand bucks and doing all this stuff. I was the last person to go shopping. I was the last person to do any. I, I was like been there, done that. The hysteria. It felt like hysteria for me, or maybe it was just triggering for this kind of mindset that I had come from. Um, in fact, to the point where I actually did run out of toilet paper legitimately. Right? I was like, I had to go, I had to like dial a friend, um, which by the way, to, I, I happen to still live in, you know, a beautiful kind of uh, area where I have access to nature. So, you know, toilet paper is not high on my list. I can, I can maneuver without it. You know, there's things you can do. But, but it, but, you know, I was like the, I mean, from where I came from, I'm like, how funny, like I actually ran out of stuff, but I, I I actually had a conversation with a a friend of mine not too long ago. His name's uh, Bruce McGlenn and he has a, um, he's a founder of a company called human nature hunting. And I'm actually, he, he did a shellfish forage and feast event with wild kind Academy. And he's a great instructor and he teaches a, a, a hunting course um, up north uh, in Washington state, but we were chatting on the phone. And I, one of my favorite questions to ask people, you know, what's your, what's your zombie apocalypse plan? Cause I do just love it as a conversation starter, just to see where people are at with different things. And he's obviously, he hunts and he's, you know, he lives the outdoor lifestyle, but he was, he was saying, you know, I, I, uh, my plan is to just travel lightly. And that just resonated with me. There was something about, you know, cause I've had the weight of all my preparation supplies. And I say the word weight because there was so much stuff that I couldn't even leave my home and feel safe. And I think for me, that transition point and what he was speaking about when he was like, travel lightly, it's become a little bit of a personal mantra for me because just be light, you know, like be, be light in mind, body, spirit, and in your actual shit, you know? So for me, the more this last year, what's that? I said I could not agree with that philosophy more. That is right. Yeah, but I don't think I have anything I couldn't walk away from. I mean, right. Well, exactly. There's people I can't walk away from, and my dog, my my dog. But you know, like any, any, you know, just material object. There's no nothing I couldn't just pick up my body and leave, and I'd be fine. And I think. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the more I'm diving into this, the more I'm like the 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 more just skills I want to learn. 
and engage to feel, you know, and this is my, you know, I've used this word rewilding. It's my, it's my thing. It's this is this last year for me has been a great rewilding. And, you know, for me, that's, uh, it's a, it's a move towards a more natural state, um, kind of undoing the unhealthy modern conditioning. It's living beyond domestication and it's having skills, real skills that carry with me, that make me feel at home in nature without the fear. I, in this last year, I went, I went fishing for the first time a year, just a little over a year ago for the very first time. I'd never fished in in my life, life. in my whole life. Yeah. I'd never, and I would, and I was introduced to fishing um, from my, my, I met this man in uh, Boise, Idaho, who just became a love. And we, he introduced, you know, he's got a YouTube channel called Silhouette Outdoors. And this guy just loves fishing and he's a fish whisperer. He's caught more state records in, in Idaho than anybody. And, and he do, uh, fly fishing, correct? I, What's I know, that? I know. I mean, I've seen you. You do more than one type, but I've seen you do oh. fly fishing, and I've heard. I've yeah, heard yeah. I went like fly the fishing. Most, uh, meditative time. form of fishing, and it's cool to because oh. you're in the. So. You're actually in the water. I mean, you're really yeah. immersed. Uh, it's a very immersive oh. uh, form. It's of so good. I mean, with I mean, in this last year, I've actually caught over twelve different species of fish. I've. It's become. I love fishing. It has become such a cool thing, but. You know, I, I love the aspect about fishing too, that of, of bringing home dinner of, you know, that there's, that the energy put into something also brings home food. Um, and that I have this skill set to, to, you know, that it's like, uh Oh, the grocery stores are out of meat. And it's like, I know, grab my pole yeah. and like yeah. go fish and, and then I'll have dinner. It just feels so it's traveling lightly. You know, it feels, yeah. it feels so good. And since then, I, I took my hunter's ed course. I'm actually taking a hunting apprenticeship through Earthwalk Northwest here in Washington State. Um, and that begins in September. And for me, that's going to be a year-long, uh, eight-month-long program, uh, full-season hunting. We'll, we'll do um, you know, big game. We'll do uh, waterfowl, wild turkey. Um, we'll do uh, clamming, fly fishing. So that's something I'm looking forward to that I'm going to be diving into. But in the meantime, I'm learning how to use a bow because I would like to do a bow hunt. And I have my tag this year, um, both in Idaho and Washington. Uh, I got a, a deer and elk tag. So I do plan on having my first hunt this year. And I respect that for so many ways. So I, uh, I mean, I'm an, I'm an animal lover. I, I you know, I love mm-hmm. animals. And, uh, but oh, there's one thing, and, but uh, specifically how I feel about this is like, I think this is a, a really good point is that Factory farming is uh, something that I'm very, very against. I think, you know, and, yeah, and, boo! Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the cruelty to animals and treating, you know, and all that stuff. And the, I think the difference is that when someone has uh, what it takes to go out and, you know, hunt an animal, especially in a, you know, uh, in a humane way, and then have the uh, ability to, you know, like uh, skin and clean that the animal, you know, prepare all the meat, mm-hmm. you're fully aware of what you're, you know, you're not separated from what this is. You know, a lot of people out there that, that eat three hamburgers a day or, or whatever would be disgusted if they saw what a cow being slaughtered or they, you know, they wouldn't, they'd throw up if they saw it. And that's 100%, it's, that, for sure. it's that uh, detachment from what you're consuming and what actually, what it actually takes to create this product. 
And so that's why I am, uh, you know, I, that's why I'm, I am totally cool with like with the hunting aspect and I'm just very, yeah. very just yeah. adamantly against the factory farming aspect, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like, and I, you know, I think the, the, just even the quality of meat from wild game and how our relationship, you know, is, uh, our relationship to our food, I think is a big part of rewilding our relationship to how we, how we get food, how we view food, how we improve nourish with food. Um, and I, you know, I think hunting is a, a wonderful opportunity to, let me tell you, I went on a, my, an animal, uh, I went on my first hunt last, uh, last year with Scott and he took me on an, on an antelope hunt. And we, we sat for two days in a blind in 90 degrees, um, you know, nine, 90 degrees, two day, not moving, like sitting in silence and and waiting and 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 observing and i mean talk about a meditative state i mean it's it's it actually it's like the best vacation ever to just sit and not talk and and, and just unplugging <laughs> unplugging no you know literally you know self reception just sitting and and waiting and observing and then you know when he did have a successful hunt uh through uh, with his bow and I was w- there for that process of, you know, just the reverence for that animal, for thanking that animal, for touching the animal. Um, ooh, I could almost get kind of emotional. It's very, it's it's one of the most profound <laughs> and, uh, experiences. You, you should, because well, I mean, it, it should be, it should be something that's uh, spiritual and emotional. I mean, you're, it is spiritual. Yeah. yeah, it's it's full circle of life stuff, you know, yeah. and um, and that that animal is now going to provide nourishment for a family. And, you know, to put your hands on that animal and to thank them and then to go through the process of processing that meat. It's a lot of work. It, you know, it's a whole, it's two days of, of, of in the blind. It's a whole, you know, day to just um, do the skinning and all, you know, all the processing. And then of course, to, to do all the work with the meat. I mean, it's, it's a four day event. And um, that's a lot of time to put into having a, a steak dinner, you know. Um, and so it really does change the perspective of how much meat do we need to eat because there's a new perspective for me anyway. It's like, and even um, just gratitude for for meat for, in that way. That, that dinner has a lot a different value system than going out and getting a burger from McDonald's, you know, totally. <laughs> um, Jess, if you don't mind, I do want to like uh, take like one step back to where we were before. And I would say, you know, we're talking about survival and we're talking about like, hunting just now, but even though prepping is technically about survival, uh, would you say it's fair to say that it's a very death-focused mentality that goes into living like that? Like, is, is it like gosh, um, I don't even know if it's death-centric. Um, I, I don't. I don't think. I, um, it almost becomes. Um, I don't know. You. I, I don't I, I don't think that's it, but I well, I didn't I, I, feel- knew, I knew I could have been wrong by asking that I, I didn't I wasn't sure if that question was a was a fair question. I would I just in my mind I thought well, if you're constantly prepping to against death, it, does that mean that you're thinking about it all the time? And, and that I totally mm-hmm. understand if that's not the, the case. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. I just think that uh, at least the mindset for me, and I can't speak to others. Um, it, it doesn't seem like that. It's like if anything, you're thinking about survival, which has this, like, I'm going to live through anything. And, you know, cause the more you dive into that, the more you feel prepared, you feel the sense of like, oh, oh, I got this, I got that. But one of the things I was missing is really, you know, is you can accumulate so much stuff 
But if you don't have a sense of connection to, to the natural world, you know, if you, you, you can like put your four walls around you and, and put up your, you know, the, the moat and, and put up the castle walls and stock it full of stuff. But that doesn't, you know, for me, that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're living and engaged. Um, and there's different levels. I mean, from a, on a scale of zero to Jeremiah Johnson, you know, like I, I think the preppers are in an interesting like position on the scale because some of them just have the money to buy stuff but they don't really have a lot of skills. Um, And, and some also practice hunting and fishing and wild foraging and learning about the plants that grow, because that becomes important to, you know, the the big picture of what they're, you know, of the sovereignty they're looking to have. So it's really just, you know, hard to say, because there's a scale, it's like a spectrum. I wasn't trying to be disparaging. uh, If that's how I came across, Mm. I was curious if that was maybe because my next question was going to be moving into like, like, I mean, speaking of thinking about death all the time, uh, you moved out of the, the prepper world, you got involved in the, the, the funeral and cemetery. Yes. And I guess I was, yeah. just, and maybe that's what made me think that was like, Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Cause you were, maybe you were thinking about death frequently and that's you, you were like, well, here's a, how about I'm going to immerse myself in something that is truly like a, an immersion into thinking about death all the time. Cause you were very much surrounded by it. Or, but Seeing that, that as though that's not the case, how did that happen? Yeah, well, this is this is a fascinating part of my life. Um, you know, I I did kind of refer to it as you know these dark days, but I don't mean dark as in bad. It's like the dark and the light on the spectrum of the universe is actually we need them both. And there and you know when I retreated into darkness, it was actually a big part of healing. And, and I love the polarity of dark and light. And um, so that's a real, just kind of a uh, philosophical aspect of when I referred to dark days. It, I don't mean dark bad. I mean, dark, you know, like dark, amazing. <laughs> um, I totally so, that. Yeah. 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 So I was like, if you're following, <laughs> that, that might've been a little <laughs> yeah, out there, but. You have a duality. There's, uh, yeah. You know, you're, yeah. You're just a one, you're not a one dimensional being. You have a spectrum of emotions and a spectrum of feelings and there's a spectrum of uh, even like spirituality from like you know uh, but i i digress and i want i want a lot no yeah no i'm with you we're i'm totally with you absolutely (laughs) and um and so for me um you know a couple things happen um right actually right when the 9 11 uh event happened i i lost my dad who was very very uh, i was still over on the islands and he died in a really sudden kind of tragic way. And I, and he was cremated and I was never able to kind of uh, process that well, because when I flew over, when I was able to fly and get home, um, it's like, there was no, there wasn't much closure other than this box, you know, that, that was handed to me or that I could touch and be like, huh. Um, it, it was just, a it, that transition was very hard that there was no visceral, you know, experience for me to, as a human, to attach to. And you think about how, you know, death used to occur, you know, a hundred years ago, um, when someone died within a family or a community, that whole family and community came together to care for that, their loved one and, and to, you know, anoint them and dress them clean, you know, clean their body, have some form of ceremony around their death, and then hand in hand, walk out to the the back, you know, the, the family cemetery and dig a hole together. And, and this was a family community experience. Yeah. Um, 
So when, you know, fast forward now, our funeral practices are an industry. They're not a, um, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a full on industry. It, there's and a lot of dollars made off. documentary on that and how, uh, these, these, uh, I mean, there's only a couple, but these gigantic funeral industrial complexes go around and they buy all of the funeral homes that were once family owned. Yes. If they don't change the name, they leave the original family yep. name on it to, uh, manipulate you into thinking that, oh, well, this is just a mom and pop place and they're here and we're going to get uh treatment and closure but it's really it's part of this it's just just like anything else just like the fast food industry and the oil industry you know it's just another way to to rip people off to try and to try and guilt people into buying a five thousand dollar casket and i don't know that's that's my dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> um well so i had i i had i've had all the experiences because i did you know when i um you know with just a few things that happened in my life whether you know i carried this weight of my dad's death in a way that that i i needed a lot of healing from i do think it's where i got into some of the you know when i entered my kind of 10 years of of survival mode um i think death was kind of always a little bit in the, you know, fear of, fear of death of my children, some, something around that nature. And then, um, and then I, you know, I just, I had a few things that happened. I, you know, my marriage was shifting. We were moving into divorce. I, I just had a series of events where I was like, I just, it was my dark days. Like things just got real dark. Yeah. Um, and I actually, at the time I had this lump develop in my throat and I thought for sure I had cancer and I went to a naturopath and I was like, all right, like, what's the deal with the lump in my throat? And he took this, um, you know, all the tests and did everything. And he came back to me and, and, you know, bless him for this conversation he had with me. He was like, you know, you are so healthy. You're a hundred percent healthy. Um, what are your stress levels like? What's your anxiety like? And I was like, oh yeah, it's off the charts. And um, he was like, yeah, let's let's look at that because that lump in your throat is um, there's actually there's actually a medical term. I can't pull it right now, but it's something like hysterium globuloser, oh. you know, something something. It, it's a medical That's term a for lump stuff. in the throat, and it's and it's psychological. It's there. There actually is yeah. a lump in your throat. Oh but no it's no. Created- I just- I, I I didn't want to like take away from the like, the very seriousness of that. It just sounded so much like a Harry Potter spell. What you? Oh it. yeah, no, it, I mean, there's believe me, I love the humor aspect and all this. Nothing offends me. Um, so I can I can roll on all humor. Okay, so the so the bump in my throat. He actually took the time and sat down with me and he said, "What's your greatest fear?" And I was like, "I don't know, you know, this and that." And he's like, "No, okay, boil that down even more. What what what's the worst thing that could ever happen?" And I was like, well, I guess the worst thing that could happen is my a ki- one of my kids could die. And I was like, actually, even worse, I could die, and I didn't. I w- I'm not able to raise them or give them what they need. Um, and he breaks that down even further. He's like, okay, so you die now. What's what's the worst? You know, what's the worst case scenario? I mean, he he literally kept going with it to where I was like, huh, I you know, what is the worst case scenario here? What like? And then when you really like think about a worst case scenario, you're like, is that the worst case? Like our, our humans are so resilient. They will always, you know, humans are resilient. We're born, we're born to do this thing. And that is our job is to live and die that we're here to have a life experience. And the circle of life is, is a part of, of what we do and what we do well. And when you kind of can sit back and, and then trust, trust the, that this is a natural part of, uh, you know, being a human on earth, 
it starts to remove some of that fear. Well, from there, that is um, with all the other things going on my in my life with a, a divorce and different things. Um, I was at what I would call a personal low. And I had um, this, you know, this job I was working at that I loved closed down. I mean, I, I had, I was, I just was at a low and I was also very depressed and um, had a lot of anxiety. And I called up a funeral home, one of the biggest ones in our area. And I was like, Hey, can I get a job? Um, do you, do you have a sales job um, just on, on impulse? It pretty much, I mean, I, I was looking around, like I need a new job. I need to do something. Yeah, you yeah. I got to get a job. I, I was moving, you know, I was about to move out on my own. It was the first time leaving the, leaving the farm and leaving the, it, I was leaving the, the all of the prep, prep yeah. the 10 years of prepping. And I was leaving to be on my own and have my first house um, and be on my own. And I needed a job. And I, I don't know this, I just called this cemetery, this funeral home, large funeral home cemetery and crematory. And went out there. And so one thing I want to say, because we talked a little bit about the dark side of the funeral industry, and certainly there is one. But even within the 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 things that are all things wrong about the industry, there are good people working in that industry or as well, who are, um, you know, have great hearts. And um, and this is it's not just the industry's fault. I mean, as a society, we have all put on white gloves. Um, around death as a society. Once again, I, I wasn't I wasn't trying to, to to disparage an entire industry or, or every single person involved. I just was. I think I was just trying to point out a couple of things that I that I think were there's unethical practices in every industry. You know, so it's I'm not absolutely. Uh, it's like, it, you just nailed it. Yeah. Exactly. It's an industry like yeah. any others, and there's 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 people doing the good work, and there's people who are really messing it up. But I think as a society, we are all, you know, part of the problem of how we've removed ourselves from death. We kind of, we've white gloved it. That's the best way I can describe it. You know, how funeral directors, you know, they put on the white gloves and we we don't want the the messiness of it. But in that, I don't think we're doing ourselves a favor necessarily. And that was this, you know, this year of working. And actually I worked there for almost two years. And I learned so much. I mean, every single day I was, I was in a sales role, which is, you know, a whole nother story. I could probably write a sitcom like on the, on the whole thing. Um, because it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting topic, but yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, it's good stuff, especially on the sales side. Um, but you know, I worked with families every day that were that coming in either had just lost someone they loved, or they were preparing for the loss of someone they loved. Or, you know, people were coming in and, and we were planning funerals and, and working through the cemetery. So this was um, a very eye-opening experience for me. When I left that job every day, one thing it did for me um, is I, I just, I stopped having bad days because it was like, and the anxiety started to go away, uh, you know, because I was just so, you know, I remember there in the going into the back room. Or, you know, there'd be sometimes a viewing room and I'd walk into to the viewing room and I would have a quiet moment where I could just kind of look and observe at that human form and have reverence for that human form. And it's kind of like the thing I missed seeing with my dad. I just didn't get yeah. that, you know, and I kind of did some healing in that time with you know, just a way to change your perspective, you know, to 
like uh, I don't know, it, just, it just seems like one of the most dramatic perspective changes you possibly could have done too. Yep. So, and I yeah. guess that could be a healing experience because like a lot of times what the problem is is that you're you're you know you've been stuck in this uh, harmful perspective or just stagnant perspective for so long that it started to create you know it creates anxiety and depression and things like that. And if yeah, if you if you could just drastically change how you see things, then you can see a bigger picture. I mean, does it that make sense? a game changer. It really does, and it and it was a game changer to to view you know to kind of interact with death in in a more personal way um, because then also it just made me feel that much more alive. You know, when you're when you're looking at an embalmed body that has makeup on it and you know, that does not look live. It doesn't look right. Um, you know, there's some, it's not, a, it's not, there's nothing alive about that, you know? Um, and then when you, you leave that room and you walk out into the fresh air and you start to check in with your senses and you can smell and you can taste and you can feel, and you're like, I am so very alive right now. And that is so much to celebrate. Um, there's so much to celebrate there. I mean, what is truly a bad day? Like, let's really get a perspective change. Um, and that's this, this thing I went through. So, you know, personally, it was a huge opportunity for me to grow and to, to lift the veil of my of kind of fear, you know, I guess, lifetime of different fear-based living. And when I left the funeral home, there was so many things I learned about the cemetery. I learned so much and how this has become a very non-sustainable practice cemeteries um oh yeah they're yeah. they're an environmental disaster yeah truly and um and it really the more actually while i was still working there i started to investigate green burial and conservation um different uh, conservation burial and all these things there is just this incredible which is really just a return to 100 years ago i mean there's no science here it's not yeah. like the biggest science in the world. Just it's doing just it the like way that we did it for simple from for generate you know for millennium and then you know and, and now yeah and then yeah. Hold up! It's time to reach into the mailbag. Every week on the show, we check the mailbag to see if anyone has written a message to the show. Then we read that message out loud and answer it. This week's message comes from Ariana. Ariana wrote, <clears throat> "Hello, dear." Do you want to make love to me? Hi, Ariana. I don't even know if I know what love is anymore. I've been hurt too many times before. Like, I'm not always the smartest guy in the room, but I'm always like the most intelligent because I think with my heart and my soul and my third eye, you know? It's like girls don't even get me because I'm just too deep. Uh -huh. Thanks for writing in the show, Ariana. And now back to the interview. A, a friend of mine that was a guest on this show, actually, uh, for episode nine, was out surfing in Hawaii. And uh, it's one of the local spots where uh, they typically don't let Hallie's surf there. But I, you know, he, he got a pass somehow. Like, because we, whenever we were going out there, like, we'd kick it with local people. You know, sometimes they'll let you, like, surf at spots where they don't, mainlanders don't get to go that often. But, you know, and, you know, I guess, you know, you live there, so, you know, there's like a, a lot of macho culture among mm -hmm. a lot of the surfers and locals there that, um, so this won't sound probably like super bizarre to you. Like he was out, he was surfing, he was all far out surfing and a, there's a really big shark swimming through, like through the surfers and the fin was up. And so everybody was just calling out shark, just a heads up. And they were like, shark, shark, shark. And he heard it and he was like, oh my, so he started freaking out, you know, cause he's from Nashville. He's from here where I'm from, you know, <laughs> like we, we, we surf, but we're not, you know, we didn't grow up. 
in the ocean like these people. So he starts paddling in. He's like, and he realizes no one else is paddling in. <laughs> like, and he looks at the guy that's closest to him. He's like, he's like, why is no one paddling in? And he's like, you know, there's a big fin. There's a big shark. And the dude's like, uh, he's like, hey, shark's my brother, man. He's like, this, this is my time to go. It's my time to go. And uh, <laughs> and I, I have to say, uh, that philosophy has always super vibed with me. And yes. is, if that kind of philosophy is in line with how people view green burial, does that? I, I thought it was be, would be a relevant parallel. Right? I love what you that sh that story you just shared, and that really resonates with me. Um, you know, I mean, even through the pandemic and every everything. I mean, I'm, you know, I, there's there's so much there's so much we can gain from this, this like acceptance. And that's kind of, there's even like a yogic philosophy around, you know, accepting what is, I mean, there's, there's, it's actually in many, many spiritual practices, but, uh, you know, just accepting what is and, um, and finding our relationships with, with the natural world. And when it's our time, it's our time. And to be just kind of okay with that. I do feel that the people I've worked with, cause I spent a year just doing education and um, advocacy around home funerals and green burial. And um, I became a, I, I did a death doula training and, and um, was- I just learned about, that was, I literally just learned about yeah. that, I would say two months ago. I'd never, I had never even oh, heard wow. the term before and it just mm -hmm. became uh, something in my, in my uh, vocabulary. So that's really cool that you brought that up. I'm, I don't know, I'm always, yeah. I always enjoy these synchronicities of things in life or like, something you've never heard of before, you hear it, yeah. learn what it is, and all of a sudden it's all around you. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, um, and, and so after, you know, for this training I did, I, I felt like it opened up these doors of all these amazing people I were meet, I was meeting in this field um, who are changing the script on, on death and, and how we view death. And there's some really fascinating people out there. Great books, great storytellers, amazing resources. Um, the well, national just, home funeral. Alliance. Just tell everybody what a, what, a, what a death doula is. Cause I mean, I just told you why yeah, sure. that's uh, most people are, I literally just learned it. So I'm <laughs> assuming that it's not the most widely yeah. known uh, term. So I, can you maybe uh, uh, define yeah. that? Well, some people are familiar with doulas, like birth doulas, um, and what the role of a, 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 a birth doula would be is to support the mother who's, um, you know, through her as, you know, in the months that she's pregnant, the, the, the doula can be this extra level of support um, for her, for the mother while she's pregnant, and also through her birth, and even after the birth to be able to just be another hand, being an emotional support, a, a physical support with whatever's needed. So, so a, a death doula really has a similar role, but just on the other, um, on the exit side. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we've got our, our, we've got our entrance and we've got our exit. And um, so on the exit side, death doulas can be, um, they can be educators to talk about people who they may want to know what their options are. Um, and a death doula can, 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 you know, they're often hospice, uh, you know, I went through a hospice training and, and, um, and so there's this opportunity to speak with people who are, who are actively dying or just wanting to be in the know and have be educated, um, and empowered. And so that death doula can also provide information about what their options are around, you know, green bear, you know, all of the options. I mean, in Washington state, we are leading, like leading the, the, the country right now in alternative death care 
Um, we've just passed uh, human composting as a law, or you know, it passed yeah. this law for. So now we have um, uh, just amazing opportunities to. Yeah, where your last act on earth is a giving back and a, a, a reciprocal, reciprocal uh, experience of giving back to the earth. Um, you know, the last thing for me that I want as my last statement on earth is to be, for me, to be cremated. I don't, I don't need those fossil fuels burning um, for an entire day to get my body down into, you know, into what the earth can do and have my body actually give a uh, resource back to, um, back to the soil and have new life grow on, you know, over where I'm buried, whether it's a shrub or a native plant. Depending on what your personal beliefs are. I mean, the, uh, the comfort of knowing that you are returning to the earth, uh, uh yeah. returning to the life cycle and all that rather than, I mean, we're energy and I'm, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to deep dive into people's beliefs about death because everyone's got such varying things, sure. but we can all kind of agree that there's nothing disrespectful about having at least your human remains returned in, in, in a ethical and uh, like uh, environmental way to the planet. I mean, it's a very, yeah, in a conservation way. I mean, it's not, it's, and, and, you know, I, I mean, I worked with so many people and I know many people who choose cremation, it's cheaper. It's a, you know, it's a, they've put so much of a cost on getting a, you know, buying caskets and steel vaults and, you know, yeah. being put in a cemetery. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a horrendous charge. Um, so it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people to choose cremation because of just the cost factor um, and the, and the, you know, and, and the ease. So I don't have any judgments of people's um, choices at end of life. It's so personal and there's reasons people do different things and, um, and it's all good. It's all good. So, I mean, for, it's just that for me, I like the idea of being returned to the earth and that the energy of, of my body gets extracted and, and placed into new life and regeneration. So I love that. That's to me like a great piece out. Well, that's actually, you just, you just answered my next question. So I'm going to be able to, I'm just going to skip the, the thing that I was, I was actually just going to ask you pretty much everything you just said. So that's pretty good time to segue and move into like, really, this is why we were on the phone the other day and talking about doing this podcast. And, but I just, you had so much interesting stuff like to get to this point. <laughs> that we had, to, we had to get, I mean, we had to talk about all that first and we've got, yeah. obviously we've been speaking about rewilding here and there, but I do want to ask you, and this is a, just for, just for the word itself, I'm pretty familiar with the concept of rewilding as it pertains to uh, reintroducing species to delicate mm -hmm. environments and so forth. But can you explain to me rewilding in the sense of what it means to human beings and what you do? Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's right. I mean, I think there was a man um, named Dave For Foreman, if I'm saying it right, um, who who actually, I think, coined the term rewilding. And that was probably like 30 years ago or something. And it was, um, and it definitely was in reference to um, kind of creating better balance in the e ecosystem functions. Um, so being able to, you know, take a forest land or wildlands and be able to to bring back connectivity and and biodiversity and and um, and self-sustaining environments where you know. So when I just even look at the just the concept of it, I'm like that just speaks to me because I'm a bio I'm a biodiverse you know creature. And um, even though this is this was kind of I think like this term really came out of this, you know, looking at it from this place of ecology, I'm like, well, I'm, 
I'm ecology. I'm all, I'm all those things too. Humans are very much the same creatures and um, animals. Yeah. We're, and we have bio, we're made of this, you know, cells and all these things. And, um, and so it really, the term really was like kind of perfect because it speaks. So when we now take that into our, a, a human way of digesting that word and saying, what is, what is rewilding? I think anyone could kind of what that means to them could be kind of personal. Um, but what that means to me is um, is really uh, it is kind of more a holistic approach to living. And it's certainly rekindling this connection uh, to nature. Um, so it's taking myself out of domestication of the four walls and the fluorescent lights and the, you know, the Wi-Fi and um, taking this creature that's me into, um, you know, getting myself engaged uh, into the, into my wild habitat, um, into nature, basically, um, so that I, my body and mind and spirit can feel um, that reconnectivity, that, um, that sense of, uh, you know, just undoing the healthy, unhealthy modern conditioning and, um, and just being a, a a live creature who's like, you know, when you see new little, um, you know, horses or something, and they're just prancing around, you know, and they're, or little, you know, any baby animal, anything, you know, they're just so free and they're so happy. And I feel like that when I get myself uh, offline and um, feel kind of in relationship with the natural world, I feel like I could just be jumping around just like, like it just, brings so much joy to me. And I know what it's like to have a professional job and to, you know, work eight hours a day in front of a computer. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of this balance because I have lived very, you know, off the grid. I did the gardening thing, you know, I lived very kind of remotely and, and I, I think I'm definitely a part of this world. You know, I love to watch my, you know, I love to watch film with my kids and anime and I love to you know, I love to be a part of this world. I love to go to the theaters. I love to do, you know, um, I love this time of life. It's a, it's a wonderful time to be alive. And I love to participate in it um, with all of the pleasures of our modern conveniences, but everything has balance. And I think for me, the balance is found in re in the rewilding and it's, and it's very simple things you can do. And I'll, I'll kind of like, maybe I'll like list off five, like five ways to rewild, like right now. Um, and that is, you know, get, just get outdoors and bug out of town. Um, and whether that's, if you live in a big city and it's just getting to the city park and getting barefoot, uh, in the grass, um, so that your senses can connect to the earth, but, or it's literally bugging out of town and just, um, you know, everyone, most people know what that feels like when you just kind of leave when, when you leave and you get out there, that, that immediately changes, uh, changes things, changes how you feel. So get outside, of course. Um, but bringing wild foods into your diet, you know, um, being more in tune with nature and, and all the gifts that are happening, happening seasonally. So, you know, right now it's spring, March and, and early April was an incredible time to harvest nettle, stinging nettle. And to watch this gift coming up from the earth, there's so many things to, you know, the dandelions. It's like, there, this, is a, this is a thing you can do to rewild your life is just learn what plants grow in your area and start to incorporate a little bit of wild food into your diet. Um, a, very, you know, I'm very lucky in that aspect because I have a, I live right by where they do the farmer's market. It's the organic farmer's market too. So it's like, 
it's yeah seasonally it'll, all mm-hmm. and it, and those guys you know they they grow whatever is gonna just be it's not like a grocery store like you never you don't know what you're gonna get like you'll get there and like I'll, yeah. I'll there'll be like a vegetable and I'm like what is like what is this like I'll and I'll eat it but you know it's yeah. cool to go see a thing like a vegetable you've never even eaten before if you go hit the organic uh, farmers market right well and what's and like the next level of because I'm into I mean if I'm gonna eat food. It's going to be, you know, I like organic, you know, locally grown uh, farmers, you know, doing their thing. It's obviously it's, it's a, it's a, it's a step up, but there is a next level. And that is bringing like wild foods, like, you know, literally walking outside and pulling some dandelion leaves and like chopping them up and putting them in, in your salad. Um, and there's two reasons I think that's so powerful. One is you realize, wow, there's actually food growing right outside my doorstep. And, you know, so talk about, you know, just being, you know, having this connection with nature where it's like, oh, nature provides, look at this, like there's food growing right here. But also some of, I look at the energetics of a wild plant look at how hardy and sturdy and how much grit a weed has. You know, these, these wild foods that are growing out there, they are designed by nature to survive and be hardy and have nourishment. They're so, I mean, I just look at some of these wild plants and I'm like, how did they don't, they're not being tended to, you know, they're not getting catered to, they are literally growing everywhere in some harsh conditions. And I like the idea of this exchange of bringing wild food, wild, you know, wild foraging and bringing some of that into my diet. Cause I can only imagine that that's, that I'm taking in the essence of this, you know, of this plant and putting it into my body. And I actually, I don't know, there's something about that. Again, this might be way out there, but it just, it feels like, um, it, it would be like eating wild game. You're almost taking on the essence of some of the, the, the strength um, of that plant, of that animal. And yeah. so I think there's something powerful to, to about like, you know, eating foods that are in their own right, um, hearty. I actually, uh, to go even further from what you were just talking about, like, you know, which is uh, get, in, get into nature or, uh, you know, have some uh, wild, wild food or, you know, the, all this kind of stuff that's uh, that's simple and easier to do. Uh, a step further would you know would be also doing a lot of what you're doing, which is like really going all the way out to the wilderness. And also, yeah. can you share a story about one of your favorite wilderness adventures? It could be anyone. Just just a uh, something about when you really really got like very very far off the beaten path. And that- I have I have quite a lot. I've been pretty much doing that. I, I had a feeling you have like all a really year. Good- stories um, if, if there's just one that comes to mind that you'd be willing yeah. to share with everyone and I, and like you know just to start off with like every time i i'm out either you know fishing or hiking or i feel like this is the best moment i'm always like oh this is the moment because it does <laughs> take you in you you mentioned something that i think is you know i i i, I kind of i don't know considered myself maybe one of those i don't know, a couple years ago I was kind of like that seize the weekend kind of person, you know, where it's like, all right, it's the weekend. Like, I'm just going to go on this little, you know, two mile walk around the river, you know, and and it was great. I mean, that's a great start. But I think what I've been experiencing this last year, which I think you're alluding to is, is like actually going a little further, pushing myself a little further into a, 
into this adventurous explorations of getting out there. And that has awakened something in me that is um, primal, that feels um, like it's building strength and resiliency in me. And I'll, maybe I'll give you, you asked for kind of a peak example, but so last year, I, um, a girlfriend of mine, Anna Lee, we did this, um, we did a wilderness survival course together. So we did four days. Um, and the, t- the first day, the two of us worked together to build a shelter. And we had a nice lean to and we had, you know, branches and all this stuff. And we built a beautiful shelter and um, packed it all in with, with, you know, bedding, natural bedding and such. And and so it was kind of like task accomplished. We, we completed the shelter. We went back to camp and it wasn't part of the school that you had to stay in your shelter. Um, you know, it was more just like we, you need to know how to build a shelter. And it was a very limited course because we only had four days. So when we got back, um, you know, a night went by, but the, on the last day of camp or last day of the um, school, I was like, I want to go, I want to go sleep in that shelter. Like we built the shelter. Like I need to go stay a night in there. And it was already kind of dusk. And um, in order to get to the shelter, you had to cross a river and you had, you know, you had to hike up this hillside and, and um, you know, it was probably about, I don't know, half a mile away or something. And I (laughs) made this decision to go sleep in the shelter, but I wanted to do it in a way that was like, what if I actually wasn't you know, in the woods and I didn't have a whole lot with me, like a sleeping bag or this or that. Like, I want to have a really authentic experience of, of like, did we build our shelter right? Do I, did I get cold? Like, so I, I just packed up, I put a headlamp on and I grabbed my spear, which we made, we made spears. So I, I grabbed my badass spear. I did have a knife on me and, um, I don't know, my watts of water. And I, (laughs) and I left at dusk and I, I, you know, but it got dark fast. And by the time I actually hit the rip, this, the little river to cross, it was dark, um, to where I needed my headlamp. And I, you know, I pulled my leggings up and I, I crossed the river and I couldn't believe how hard it was to find the shelter at dark, even though it wasn't that far away. Like I quickly got messed up and like, uh Oh, like, I don't, I don't really know where I'm at. And I wandered the forest for a long time, actually. And I learned a lot of just, you know, moment inspirations of like, oh, don't travel at night. <laughs> like, you know, like just, you know, just some basics of like what not to do. Um, or like, you know, I crossed the river and I got half of my pant leg wet because I didn't roll it up enough. And it was like, oh, don't, you know, don't get wet before dark. Um, I kind of did everything wrong. Um, but I eventually I knew I could make it back to camp if I had to, cause I hit, hear the sound of the river. And once I crossed the river, I could, I knew how to, you know, to get to camp, but, but I kept going. I eventually found the shelter and I was, you know, it probably took me 45 minutes to find it. And by the time I got there, I was so thrilled. Like it was this, it definitely was a peak moment. Cause I was like, Oh, you're out here in the dark. You're by yourself. You know, you, you found your shelter okay, now let's crawl in. And then I was like, oh shoot. I mean, this thing's been sitting here for three days. Like there could be snakes in here or, you know, I didn't even think of that, but I patted it down, nothing popped out. And I got in and, you know, I just had this like polar fleece kind of cape with me. I didn't have a sleeping bag or a pillow or anything. And I just like stuffed all my hair up in my hat because I'm sure that it was bugs. And 
I, I do, yeah, I don't, I'm not really into bugs crawling in my ear and stuff. So I tried to just like put it all, get myself together. I got myself into the shelter and I stayed the night in there. I had some pretty fascinating experiences. I, I, I wouldn't say it was like, it wasn't like I was this like, wow, this is awesome. I got super cold, um, like really cold, uh, where I was just kind of shivering, you know? So like, don't get wet, <laughs> you know, don't, I mean, all the things I did wrong. Um, but I also learned a lot about what you should have on you when you're out in the wild. Like there's some basic things you should have on you. And I, you know, nothing like jumping in and learning hands-on what, what goes wrong to learn to how to prepare to do things right. But the, just the, I guess, having the confidence to go do that, to just be out there by myself and and to sleep alone in the woods and to hear all the sounds at night, which certainly kept me up. But um, I tell you what, that next morning I felt pretty, um, I mean, that was a peak experience for me because it was just so, uh, I just felt capable. I felt like, okay, I can do, I can do things e- even if they're uncomfortable. And that's that resiliency training that I'm after. I love that story. And honestly, I think it's really cool too, when, because uh, the podcast episode right before uh, yours we had also had a conversation about solo camping and actually how it can be a really profound experience. Although the guy that I had on before was, uh, he's a psychedelic trap, you know, he's a psychonaut. So his whole thing was going solo camping in the desert with a giant bag of mushrooms and going on vision quests. (laughs) But, But what I was saying actually when I was talking to him is that you don't, you don't need to like, I mean, those experiences can be, can be very powerful and profound without having to, uh, take a lot of hallucinogens <laughs> at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I did want to ask uh, this, and we've we've been talking about it in bits and pieces this entire time, but I, I guess just to kind of t- put it all together maybe into, into one succinct idea, and that's and that is to talk about uh, Wildkind Academy. And I guess like just uh, the easiest way to put it into a question is like, what is the purpose of Wildkind Academy or the... Yeah, well, okay. I I hope that question made sense. Absolutely. Um, You know, this, um, this last year, you know, I I started this Instagram account, like my Instagram account uh, a year ago. And I've just been really cattle, you know, putting out there my adventures and my the different things I'm learning. Um, Like I said, I, every time I, I go fishing, I'm like, Oh, wow, I caught a new fish. And I'm new to this stuff. I'm not an expert. You know, I'm not an expert in fishing or hunting, but I'm, but I'm posting as I learn about it. And the more I've been kind of engaging with people out there in, in this world, the more interest of people saying, Hey, I want to, gosh, I, that sounds fun. I want to try that. I want to learn that. How do you know? And, and, and the more, you know, I'm, I'm putting it out there, the more feedback that's come in that says there's that there's a, there's a place for this, that, um, that others want to also have experiences of rewilding. And, um, and so Wildkind Academy really for me was an inspiration of saying, of saying, how can I, I want to build an umbrella company that I'm calling Wildkind Academy. And under that umbrella, I really want to open the door for learning and engagement um, with uh, rewilding our lives and have a platform for that. Um, And so you know, I am like you said, I just put my website just went live at midnight last night. So it's, I'm sure there's some glitches along the way. Um, but I'm very proud that we're at, I'm at the place of having a website because it, 
you know, it, it's a lot to put these things together. And I, you know, I'd like to be able to build, um, I'm, I am uh, writing a rewilding course, uh, rewilding 101, that's going to be available online as a, as, uh, as a coursework that people can move through to, to be just something to, to start with about rewilding their lives in even the most basic and simple ways um, that has that holistic approach. But also I want to offer workshops and skill-based learning so that um, there's a platform for um, engaging ancestral skills, for engaging, you know, um, uh, you know, how to feel good as a human right now in our minds and bodies and spirits. And I do think this has a channel that, that is, has value. Um, the net, I, I actually just booked a, we're doing a basket weaving class, um, a traditional pack basket, foraging basket class. And I have a master instructor coming into Washington state to, uh, do that class. And so I'm, I am partnering with other instructors as well. Um, so that's happening next weekend. And then at the end of June, I've got a woman who's going to be teaching an online course through Wild Kind Academy. Um, I have her scheduled to teach intro to fish tanning. And she is absolutely fabulous. I already took her class and I made my own fish leather out of salmon skin. And it's so cool. Um, and I love this hands-on learning with some of our ancestral skills that people and always knew how to do. Way to use every part of the animal too. Like that's something I right? highly respect. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so that I'm gonna and, and her name is uh, Janie, uh, Janie Chang. And she's just brilliant. So, um, so I'm just start, you know, it's going to grow as I grow with this. Um, I would like to be able to put uh, retreats together um, and adventures. And, you know, so uh, partnering with getting people out fishing, uh, getting the more I start to learn about hunting, I'd like to get into that realm of how to um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll honestly create a pathway for women. Uh, and I don't I'm not, you know, Wild Kind Academy is going to be something for men, women, families, gender fluid. There's no you know, I, I don't really have a, um, I don't live in the world of this, you know, you're this or you're that. So it's going to just be for I, that's why I called it Wild Kind. It's just yeah. like whoever's drawn to yeah. this work um, and to this path. So it's not about gender um, at all. And, um, and so I really want this to be a very welcoming community to all. And, um, but I mentioned the word women only because, um, you know, for me as a woman, I, um, I, I found it to be, uh, it was a bit of a, I never got this opportunity. I didn't go hunting with, you know, as a child and I didn't, I, I did, the, the community wasn't, I think there's a welcoming community, but I just didn't get access to it. And as an adult, I think it's harder to kind of bridge into this world. Now, so far, everyone I've met has been so welcoming and so loving and, and, and encouraging to pull me in. But I just want to offer that as well. I want to be another resource for, um, for people to feel uh, like they could reach out and take, uh, you know, a rewilding course with me or hunting or fishing and feel that there's, it's just a, 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 a safe and loving and, and bridging opportunity to do that. That sounds amazing. I will uh, hopefully maybe get, come out and uh, do a rewild with you guys. Um, but Jess, I have to say this one thing. It's this. We are getting dangerously close to the lightning round. 
Uh, this is the game, the game part of the podcast where I'm going to ask you a series of questions. You have no time to think. You can't think at all. You just have to gut reaction. The first thing that pops in your head, that's the correct answer. So are you ready to play? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is your favorite global disaster movie of all time? So, uh, no, the, the best, I actually am not a fan of any of those kind of movies. What's okay. hilarious is you ask any of my friends or family, Tremors is my number one favorite disaster movie. And so it's just hilarious that you brought that up. And Tremors anyone in my family will back me up on that. Well, I'll, you know, well, Tremors also, there's a whole, what is there, like seven of them? I yeah, know. and they got awful. They just, just got watched awful. the last one where they finally, spoiler alert, they finally kill Bert. Oh, no way. <laughs> That's Reba McIntyre's husband in the first one. All right. But this will be easier. Okay. A okay. sub-genre a sub of global disaster movies, and I think you might mess with this a little bit more. What is your favorite zombie movie of all time? Oh, I'm going to say this hashtag alive. It's yeah, fantastic. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's such a, this is such a tough question, too, because there's so many to pick from. Okay. Yeah, and I probably later will be like, oh, shoot, wait, the, the, yeah. This one is, yeah. Actually, there is a romance. There's a romance version of a zombie movie, and I can't Warm think bodies. of the name of it. Yes, that's my favorite zombie. I movie. enjoyed Warm Bodies a lot myself. It was very underrated. A lot of people didn't like it. I thought it was pretty, pretty fucking cool. Oh, I love that stuff. Bring on the love story with zombies. So that I'm gonna go ahead and switch my answer to Warm right. Bodies. Warm Bodies. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> all right. Zombie apocalypse breaks out. Guide me through steps one, two, and three of what you do in the first few hours. Like you okay, see the news, zombies are popping off. You got like this is the first three things you're gonna do in that first. Okay, well, but where do I live? Where am I? Am I in the city or am I in the country? Uh, are you in Olympia, Washington, right now? Yeah. Also, shout out Olymp uh, Olympia. That's my favorite song by Hole. You know that song. <laughs> well, I, I went don't know to the school song. in Olympia. Okay, never mind. <laughs> you know who Courtney Love is? No, sorry. Oh, did you just say Courtney Love? Yeah, that was her band. Oh, yeah. She was yeah. married to Kurt Cobain. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And of course. You should check out the, next time you have time, just, you know, check out uh, Olympia Washington by Hole. It's a really good song. It's, it's my favorite song by Hole. Oh, God. Okay, good. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it in. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, you're right. You're, you are where you are sitting right now. The podcast is over. You check your phone. Zombie apocalypse. One, two, three steps. Okay, cool. I still happen to be pretty rural, so I'm lucky. Um, but here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm hearing that the zombies are taking over. Um, I'm going to uh, basically start by filling up my uh, bathtub full of water and um, just so that I have some access to water. But then I'm going to go through and I'm going to get my bug out bag and I'm going to make sure that I've got my essentials and some water and some food and I'm gonna go lightly. So I'm gonna take the path of not staying in one spot too long. So even though I've got some, you know, my bathtub full of water, I'm gonna consider home kind of my home base that I can always come back to and like fill up my water if need be. Um, but I'm gonna basically get prepared to bug out and I'm just gonna get as far away from the city centers as possible. And I'm gonna get, uh, make sure my hiking boots are on and that I've got layers and warm stuff and um, a knife. And let's see, Weapon for zombie of protection. Weapon of choice. Um, what's that? Weapon of choice. Um, I'm gonna go with, um, 
I kind of liked what you guys, I had some ideas from your last podcast. I, I like the idea of maybe, um, like I like the baseball bat idea, but that's too heavy. So I think I'd just take a rifle and, um, and just have it as a, where I could just like, I could also hit it. If I ran out of bullets, I could just I like a use rifle it. Could be, can become a melee weapon, uh, after yeah. you run out of, out of ammunition. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, okay. This oh, here's like a, kind of a psych, psychological question. Why do you think people are so fascinated by apocalyptic movies? I think uh, it's. I think it's super. So I think it speaks to all of us with like, what would you do if you know if something were? Because we can all relate to the vulnerability. I mean, that's that's what happens. Is I think that's where it pulls us in emotionally. Is we start to it's a you know apocalyptic zombie whatever movies there always is this element of a family or, you know, a couple, and then things start falling apart. And then they're just like this vulnerability of like survival and all right, game on, it's time to, um, you know, it's time to, it's like time to move, time to do stuff. And I think we can just all relate to the, to truly that, <laughs> that those, that what would you do in that scenario feeling? Staying on the topic of, uh, of the disaster movie thing or whatever. Uh, what do you think is like, What's a what's a global disaster movie that you think did not hold up with time? Like if you were to watch it now, you'd be like, oh man, this this did not. Well, I probably haven't watched as many as you. I'm very selective about my apocalyptic movies. So <laughs> could you give me a list of three top ones and I'll tell you like I've probably seen them and I could give you my Well, I'll give opinion. you my answer to that question. Maybe my, okay, my let's problem. do that. And that actually is the one I said earlier, Armageddon with uh, Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis, yeah. where like they get a bunch of oil drillers to go to the asteroid to save Earth. Instead of yeah. instead of training astronauts how to use drilling equipment, they train oil drillers to become astronauts. It's just <laughs> make any fucking sense, man. Stupid ass idea for a movie. <laughs> that's fantastic. I, okay, you, that's a great to, answer. If you want to share, that can be your answer too. <laughs> I, I'd like. I'm going to go with what you said. Okay, and like I said, you could probably tell I'm doing a few throwbacks. To the wilderness uh, survival episode with uh, Ramsey Demeter. So this is uh, another throwback, but I, I'm curious to hear uh, another person's uh, take on this. And this is, if you could bring only one condiment into the wilderness with you, what condiment would it be? Oh, I do remember you asking him this. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe, like. We got like, an argument. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, actually neither one of those sound good to me. I'm not into mustard, ketchup, anything. Um, a one condiment, uh, I would probably bring some kind of, you know what I'd keep in my fridge is like, like some kind of uh, maybe fermented pickle juice or something. Okay. And, and so I'd probably take some sort of, you know, fermented uh, condiment out with me that there's, there's just, there's, it's so, it's so, there's so much we could do with that. You know, actually, that, good, that, gut that, health, that, like really keeping your bacteria and your gut health <laughs> in good balance. That was that was part of our, our little argument in the last one. In the wilderness, yep. episode, because he was saying he he would bring ketchup because he was saying because I don't know how what he was what he exactly was getting at, but because there's vinegar in it, he was saying he could use it to create uh, some kind of probiotic drink. So I think you're saying right. kind of a similar thing. You're uh, you would you would bring something that would, would give you an opportunity to create some kind of probiotic uh, elixir. So. Yes. Right. Yep. So, but for, and I think that's what made me think of that is definitely a probiotic would be a good idea. But if I was going out to the wilderness, I wouldn't take, you know, and it was, you know, like kind of survival. I think something, something with a probiotic nature would be good. Keep your gut health uh, feeling good. 
I respect your answer, but I stick with honey mustard. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If, if I pitch a show to Netflix where I help fear centric uh, doomsday preppers reclaim the joy of life, will you be a cast member uh, on the show as one of my experts? Oh, are you kidding? I would sign up for that show. Absolutely. Probably, we could probably shoot the whole season in like six weeks, so it wouldn't even really be a disruption in your life. All right, that's yeah. cool. You heard it here first, the Netflix show with uh, my main expert, Jess Caldwell. Um, I'm pitching that. Coming at I you love it. Place. All right, which is better, uh, mountain biking or rock climbing? Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't do either. Okay, well, it doesn't matter because the correct answer is mountain biking. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, I'll go with your answer. No offense to rock climbers. You guys have a cool sport too. All right. Uh, what do you think is the best mid-sized car on the market? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have one. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I have a truck. <laughs> that question gets such a varied, varied results. Uh, I don't know. Because some people like really have an opinion and some people have done. <laughs> but really the most important question is, Jess, how can people find you? Where can they check you out? Where can they check out Wildkind Academy? Oh, thanks, Doug. Yeah, so um, website's just now live at wildkindacademy.com. And at this time, the coolest thing would be to just get on my, uh, join my newsletter so that I can stay in touch with people about um, updating you on events and things happening. Um, I'm on Instagram as well, um, Jess underscore Wildkind Academy. And um, the Facebook page for Wildkind Academy is also there. Um, so that's a great uh, place to start. And of course, through the website, you can email me and um, I'd love to be in touch with your audience. And, and I'm really thankful for everybody who had an interest in this topic and that you're here listening. It, uh, this is a cool exchange to be able to share in this way. And I do appreciate everybody's time. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Doug, for having me. It really was, uh, was a fun time, and I, I appreciate you asking some great questions and engaging me with all things, uh, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> all things wild and kind. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to myviewsaremyown.com. It's like not everybody makes it this far in the podcast because, like, not everybody gets me, but you do. Uh -huh. Anyway, like if you want to hit me up or whatever, uh, you can hit me up at like myviewsaremyown.com or like if you got me on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast, I would just pass out or whatever. Or you could like totally hit me up on Twitter at like myviews underscore podcast because it's like a social security network where I feel like I can totally be myself. Thanks for listening. <laughs>